Hello and welcome to From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. My name is John McDonald. This episode features a special guest from Coastland Wood Industries. The organization specializes in value-add forestry products. And our interview covers their truly unique corporate culture, external challenges facing the industry, innovation, and a whole lot more. Our conversation starts now. Uh, hi, my name is Doug Posey. I, uh, uh, the president of Coastland Wood Industries in Nanaimo, British Columbia. Uh, we're a veneer manufacturing facility, and uh, we had its, our start in 1988 as a single-line veneer manufacturer. Um, since that time, we've continued to grow and expand our uh, capacities to become one of the largest true veneer manufacturers uh, within North America. At the same time, we've also become one of the largest tree stake and fence post manufacturers as well, as we take all of our residual products, which is the core of the peeled log, and, and create a tree stake or fence post. We have about uh, 64 different SKUs of fence post tree stakes that we create for the agricultural industry, primarily in the U.S. and, and Mexico. Cool. Um, I'm wondering if you can give me a little bit of a background on yourself. You know, Coastline has a tremendous reputation in this uh, on Vancouver Island. We'll dump into some of that kind of stuff later. It's nice to have a massive facility like that, creating great jobs. But can you kind of walk me through kind of how you got involved, I think, maybe even into the forestry sector to begin with, and then kind of how that ramp up has happened uh, as you've grown into the role you're at now at Coastline? Sure. It's, uh, I don't think we have enough time to go through the whole, <laughs> the whole thing, but it's, you can say. <laughs> it, was, it was a, uh, it, it was an interesting, um, it's been an interesting ride um, to say the least. Uh, I, I started off in the industry in 1995 up in Quinnell uh, working for West Fraser Mills. And it was one of those situations where uh, life happens and, and your, your, your course of direction changes and, and it's time to grow up and, and uh, figure out a career in a hurry. And so I did that. Uh, we moved from Vancouver. I was newly married at the time with a young family and, and uh, we moved up to Quinnell and uh, started working in the planer mill up in Quinnell over West Fraser. And uh, I spent uh, about a year there. And uh, at the same time, uh, West Fraser was building a, an MDF operation, medium density fiber board, West Pine MDF is what they were called. And I put my name in and, and uh, was able to transfer over and start work in the MDF operation. And I was fortunate there that, you know, getting in from the, the ground floor uh, to, to uh, you know, move in, in, in a different direction and, and start moving my way up into um, uh, more of a managing style. And uh, so I went from, from being a green chain off bearer and uh, which at the planer mill, which I quickly recognized was not going to be uh, where I wanted to go. I, I obtained my first aid ticket to try and give me a leg up. I went and got my grading certification and, and uh, to give me another opportunity. And then I saw the, the last opportunity moving into the West Pine world and, and, uh, and going into a whole new industry within the forest industry and, uh, and learning from there. And so I started as a as a grader man and uh, within uh, a few short months moved into working in the control room there and uh, started to work on my, in my spare time, worked on my uh, power engineering, went through, uh, got my fourth class power engineering, moved into my third class power engineering. And uh, so continue to do that on the side and move through pretty much every role in that operation. I spent 17 years there and in believe it was 2005 I moved into management role supervisory role 
And within a few years of, of being in the supervisory role, I, I moved into the production manager role. And, uh, and that's kind of where I ended up and, and finalized my career with, with, uh, with West Pine. And so from there, I wanted to branch out. I wanted to learn a different part of the industry. Now I knew MDF inside and out and, and uh, um, I felt for my development, it was time to, to try and find something else within the forestry industry to, to complement what I'd learned in the MDF industry. And that's where Coastline comes in. And, uh, and so in 2011, I made the transition over to Coastline Wood Industries. Very cool. I love to hear when leaders talk about that they've done everything that there is to do kind of on the way up. So you have such a cool um, opportunity to, to develop people because you've done everything. Well, I think that's the important part about leadership and, and about, uh, you know, uh, how you approach things is, is, is not so much that you, you know how to do it, but you understand what the employees are going through. So you can relate to that. And so you can make it a, an environment that, that works for them. Yeah, no, that's so great. Um, and so you, you, you land at Coastline and can, and you've, I went through LinkedIn. Have you had three different roles there? Yeah, so I, I got hired on at Coastland as a maintenance manager uh, at our Nanaimo Veneer Operations. Now, keep in mind, I came from the MDF world. I started my career off in the planer mill, understood that, uh, moved into the MDF, understood that, had no idea about veneer, had absolutely zero knowledge on it. But it's like anything else, you just got to learn the process, the equipment, and, uh, and, you know, people dealing with people and situations are the same no matter where you're at. And so I got hired on as a maintenance manager and, uh, you know, I made it very clear that I'm not a millwright. I'm not an electrician. I can manage people. I can manage situations and I can organize. And they felt that that was, uh, I guess that what they were looking for. And, and so I came over and, and I was fortunate. I came over when I did because we were just in the process of researching a third lathe line to install a third lathe line. And so for, from a learning curve perspective, I was able to, really ramp things up by going through that process. And, uh, and so in 2013, we actually installed the lathe. And so that process between 2011, and 2013 on the research and getting an understanding for the build and design, um, it was a great learning curve. I was able to go inside and out on all the equipment and understand the, um, really get a good handle on the intricacies of the equipment and, and what needs to, to happen to make uh, as good a quality product as you can make out there in veneer. So, um, so yeah, so I, I ended up um, as a production or sorry, a maintenance manager from there, somewhat took over on the production side as well. And I, I can't remember the exact date. I think it was 2014 or anyway, somewhere around there is where I, I moved into the uh, mill manager role. Um, John Hesketh was the previous manager and, and he retired. And, uh, and so I was moved into the mill manager role and took over that and, uh, and stayed there till about, uh, in 2017 and then moved into the vice president of operations and uh, a year and a half ago I took over as president. Awesome and so is there I wanted to ask you too is there somebody within Coastland uh, a colleague of yours that had a particularly significant impact on you on your career as it as it evolved there? Well, I'm gonna be honest with you there's a number of individuals and, and um, each one had a, a part in in my development and and um, right down to some of the employees and how they conduct themselves, how they handle themselves and how they look at the world. But I think the, probably the primary person for me uh, was Hans de Visser, who was my predecessor and, and, uh, and was president of the company since I believe 2008. He's probably had the biggest influence for me. 
And, uh, but like I said, I, I go back to everybody, right, right from, from, uh, from our employees to all the managers to the team that we've got. We, we, we're a small company. I like to say we're a small company, but uh, we make decisions as a group, as a team. And so there's no, you know, titles aside at that point. Um, it's, a, it's a great atmosphere to be in. And so each of us, I think, grows off of each other. And we've been kind of growing as a team for several years. So uh, we're very fortunate. I think the, probably the average age of the, of the management team, senior management to mill management, right through the organization is, is probably, you know, um, early to mid 40s. Um, so we've got a very young management team and, and we've kind of grown together. So we feed off of each other. And so, you know, I say Hans de Visser is the, is the main influence, but the, it's, it's pretty much everybody within the organization has given me, given me some as we've, as we've gone along. So. Well, that's great to hear. I wanted to ask you to just about, you know, now you're in kind of like the, the, the more, the most prominent leadership role that's there. And obviously those change the challenges that you faced when you got in, can you kind of walk me through how that's evolved for you? but just kind of how you've, you've approached working through some of those greater challenges from, from your time then? You know, I think the biggest thing is, is not being afraid to challenge yourself and learn. One thing that I've always been fortunate that I have the mindset of is, is uh, you, you got to put the time in, you got to put the work and the effort in. And if that means that, you know, you're up all hours of the night studying something or trying to get an understanding of something, you do that. And so the biggest challenge is continuing to develop in my mind. And, uh, I, I do believe that anybody in any role, um, leadership role, um, senior leadership role, or, or, or a, a smaller one from there, um, are doing themselves, um, uh, you know, not doing themselves any favors by not trying to continuously develop themselves. And, and it could be from anything. It doesn't have to be actual uh, courses, programs, or anything like that. It's books. It's it's reading. It's getting to understand. It's it's understanding history and and where people went wrong and and where people went right and, and learning from that. I find as I've gone along now, I recall <laughs> comments and, and passages of different books that I've read that, you know, at the time, there's no way I'm going to remember this. And, but the situation does come up and that's through experience. And so the biggest challenge I have is just continuing to de- develop and push myself into um, to learning new things and different aspects of it. And, I, you know, it, to me, it's going to be a never ending quest. And uh, I think the moment that you stop trying to redefine yourself and, and, and educate yourself, I think you're going to go backwards and somebody, somebody will, will overtake you at that point. So. Jumping into a little bit of the culture side of things, you know, it, we talked briefly earlier, Coastline has a great reputation as a place to work, sought after job. I've trained with some guys at the gym and they're ever, you know, they said, oh, we're working at Coastline and they're all fired up trying to get their family members in there. Can you kind of speak to kind of what has contributed to that and kind of how the organization works to develop, you know, a, an enviable place to work? You know, it's... It, you're always going to have one or two naysayers that, that aren't going to be happy with an organization. And that's, and that's something that, you know, we've accepted. We do our best to make sure that everybody is, is happy that way. But I think the biggest thing is one of the driving factors that brought me to Coastland in 2011, at that time they were uh, developing a core value system. And, and uh, you know, every company, you know, goes through this and, and they'll, they'll have their mission statement or core values. And I'm going to say that the majority of companies, it becomes a lot of fluff and, and words on a, on a board. But when I read what they were proposing to do, they hadn't formally introduced it into the, you know, into the company, but they sat down with all the employees at some point and got a whole bunch of ideas and they kind of narrowed it all down and developed this core values. 
when I read that, it was, it was exactly who I am personally. I know that sounds funny and, and, and that, but it was exactly how I live my life, how I conduct my business. And, or let me say that I, that I try to, nobody's perfect. You always make mistakes, but everything that was on the, our core values was what I believed in. And so that's what one of the main things that drove me to Coastland is if a company is truly going in this direction and that's what they believe in, then I want to be a part of that. And I think, um, you know, as anything, a core values program is a culture and you can't just change a culture and just expect it. You put a board out there that has a bunch of words on it that, hey, everybody lives this now and, and that's what it is. That's not how things work. It's a, it's a culture that needs to be driven from the top down. It needs to be walked. It needs to be talked every day and it needs to be followed you know, religiously because the moment that you don't follow it, you throw all that work that you've worked, that you've, uh, everything that you've worked towards with, with respect to building that culture, you throw that out the window. And so, you know, we, we, we went down that path um, and, and we really focused on the management team, uh, walking, talking, doing everything like that uh, with our core values. Um, that was in 2011 that we started this. Ten years later, are we there yet? Yeah, I'd say we're close, but it's a culture. It may take five years, 10 years. It may take 20 years to truly get there, but it's a culture that needs to be built and it needs to to be driven for the long term. It's a long game. And that's that's how we're looking at it. And so do we make mistakes as a company, as a management team, as, you know, do we go in, you know, directions that people don't agree with? Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's all part of it. It's a living, living breathing, you know, organism. And uh, we're always going to have those challenges. But as long as we're following the core values and holding true to those, you can overlook a lot of those mistakes and the employees can as well. And so I also believe that um, every single one of our management team within our management team has, has come through the ranks, has, has worked from the bottom up and, and understands what the employees are going through and uh, what they can do, what they can't do, some of the challenges that they face. And I think that's an important part of building that culture, of building that place where everybody wants to be. And as long as we've got our employees' um, best interests in mind at all times, that's the most important thing. And, and, uh, and we take pride in that. We are only going to be successful if our employees are successful. And so if there's anything that we can do to make it work for the employees, we're going to do that. You know, from, from everything that we do, from, from salaries to conditions and, and stuff like that. So, so no, it's, it's been a, it's, it's a culture that we've tried to develop, but it's, it's our employees first. That's the main thing. I want to ask you too briefly about the, one of the things like our business is a lot of work in the construction sector and a theme there is worker shortage. Is that something that you guys are facing? And if so, I guess, how are you guys kind of working to address it? Well, we've been, we've been fortunate. We've got a fantastic relationship with the Sinemo First Nation. They're our neighbors and uh, we've got a clear mandate with, with all of our hiring. And we've made that very clear with everybody that we hire the Sinemo First Nations uh, folks first. In our Nanaimo operations, and uh, if there's no available employees from this from the nation, then we then we go outside. From a production standpoint, when 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 I started in 2011, and I'm just going to refer to Nanaimo here, uh, we had a 47% turnover rate. Um, today we have probably I'm going to guess less than five percent turnover rate, and primarily those are new employees that come in that realize, yeah, this isn't for me, and that and that's fair enough. But part of that stability is is the culture change that we talked about earlier and uh as as well as um 
that relationship that we built with Sinanamo First Nation and has provided us with some fantastic employees that are looking at this in the long term. And so from, from a production standpoint, we haven't had any challenges. From a tradesman standpoint, absolutely, just like any other industry, uh, that's been a challenge. We've been very fortunate that, uh, again, back in 2011, one of the first things that we started to do was, was really focus on our apprenticeship programs. Uh, we have a great uh, mechanical apprenticeship program, and I would say that the bulk of our employees have come through that and that are tradesmen. And so really that's kind of what is, is allowed us to continue and, and, and uh, is the development of our own people internally from an apprenticeship uh, standpoint. And so we've been able to bring in some fantastic people from the outside, but you got to find the right personality. It's, it's not just about the skills. It's about finding the personality that fits in with the organization. So that's been the biggest challenge. And, and, uh, but we've, we've got a great maintenance staff now. We've, we've got every, you know, everybody in the right places, but the biggest asset has been our, our apprenticeship program. There's been a lot of external challenges uh, in that sector. I'm wondering if you can speak to things like supply or government legislation and how that's impacted you, how you guys kind of work, work through that, that kind of, those kind of things, I don't, whatever you're comfortable sharing there. Yeah, no, it's, um, you know, as, as I'm not sure if you're aware or not, but we don't own any forest tenure or anything like that. Every, every log that we bring into our operations is, is purchased on the open market. We're always going to have challenges and struggles with that. We're at the, at the mercy of our, our suppliers at that point. But that's a conscious decision as a company that we've made. It comes down to building relationships with the suppliers and having that understanding of what we're looking for. And, uh, you know, I think the biggest thing is, is, you know, government policies allow us to be able to source the material on the open market. And uh, our biggest challenge is, is uh, you know, log exports. If some of the policies weren't in place, uh, I don't think you'd see much man- manufacturing at all on the coast. And uh, to compete on a international stage with with um, some of the uh, um, Asian com- countries is 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 a challenge of, at the best of times. You're, you're talking different environmental standards, labor standards, you know, all of the above. And so, in order to compete for that log at international market prices, it becomes a challenge. And and so, you know, without the policies in place for us to to be able to access those uh, those logs at at fair market value, uh, domestic market value. Um, we wouldn't have a business. And so it's always a challenge and it's always in the back of your mind. But, uh, you know, I believe in, you know, building the relationships. And I think we've done a great job as, as a company to, to work with our suppliers, you know, with the understanding that everybody needs to make a profit. So if we can't run a business on fair domestic market values, then we shouldn't be in business at all. And so, the key there, more than anything, is, is as long as the government maintains the policies as is, we're more than happy. Uh, we'll continue to expand and grow and, and build on our opportunities. But uh, should the policy shift, um, I don't think there'd be much of an operation left. Uh, next three to six months, what do you guys have coming down uh, the pipeline there? Uh, one of the things that we're, I mean, we're great for is, is nonstop action. And so, you know, we've got uh, uh, several projects on the go right now. And uh, we've got another uh, major capital uh, project over at Aranasis operation that we're just in the in the infancy stages of it. Just finished the the planning part and uh, and have kind of kicked go on that one. And over the next three to six months, right now we're installing a new uh, uh, log lift in our Nanaimo operation. 
we've taken the approach, well, not the approach, but the focus of, on our environmental responsibilities. We're trying to take it to another level. Part of that is is how we dewater logs, and uh, and we feel that the you know going this approach with a with a bundle lift electric all electric bundle lift uh, is the right approach, and uh, so that project's uh, going on right now should be done in the next uh, operational within the next month I would say, starting in October we're installing a a new lathe uh, in our Nanaimo operations we're replacing uh, one of our existing lathes with new technology and uh, a Japanese model lathe. And, uh, and that'll help uh, give us the opportunity to expand production capacities in Nanaimo. And, uh, you know, over at our Anasys plant, we are going to be installing a fifth dryer. And, uh, and so that pro- program has just, uh, just kicked off. And that's one of the beauties of working for Coastland is that we're always looking to continue to grow and build and, and innovate. And uh, you don't have time to get bored here. That's the fun part, and I think I think as frustrating as it can be for for the management teams in all the operations, I think uh, I think they appreciate that the the fact that we're continuing to grow and build, and and uh, everyone's a part of it. So um, so no, three to six months. Yeah, it's going to be a busy three to six months, and uh, you know, ask that again in three to six months, and we'll be we'll probably have some more projects on the go. Awesome. Well, I look forward to hoping to see, to see some photos of that stuff. Before we get you out of here, I got four quick questions uh, for you. Favorite, let's just say favorite business book. Favorite business book. Uh, to be honest with you, I, I, um, it's not necessarily a business book, uh, more leadership than anything, anything John Maxwell. I enjoy uh, all of his, uh, all of his literature. Best personal advice you've received. <laughs> um, never say no. There's always a way to get something done. Uh, phone application on your phone you can't live without. <laughs> well, I've got a few that I'd like to live without. Um, but I think, uh, and, and this may sound odd um, because all the kids use this, but I don't. But my daughter and that and it set me up on Snapchat so that I can see every day I get a Snapchat of my granddaughter. And so I think that one's probably my, my favorite one. Awesome. That is very cool to hear. Uh, last one for you, favorite restaurant in NMO if you need, it could be Central Island if you need a little bit more, a uh, little bit more to work with. Um, I like, uh, to be honest with you, one of my, one of my favorites is the Milton Street Pub. You are not alone on that one. <laughs> I've, I've got, I've got that one a couple of times here. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Great atmosphere. Thanks for stopping by From the Trenches, the Business Examiner podcast. If you want to learn more about the interviewee, please check the web and social links provided in the video or listening platform description. Please send any feedback to info at businessexaminer.ca with the subject line podcast. We'll see you next week.